You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Again, it is the Throwback League, and I'm your host, Josh Lewin. This is a 48-team tournament celebrating baseball nostalgia. Players are used to love, maybe hate, but certainly have long since forgotten about. Our job is to reanimate them for you as we play a game every week, 48 weeks in a row, involving the 32 World Series champions from the mid-70s to the mid-2000s. We have an at-large field of 16 pennant winners, too, and what we do... I guess by we, I mean I. What, what I do is I simulate the games on the whatifsports.com algorithm. Great website if you haven't checked it out yet. Our website is getting there, too. You can track the progress of the brackets. We are at thethrowbackleague.com. So far in our wonderful land of make-believe, we have played six retro-style games in our March Madness-style bracket. Man, I miss, miss March Madness. I, I really do. To recap... 74 A's beat the 92 Braves. 77 Dodgers over the 96 Yankees. 06 Cardinals beat the 96 Braves. 01 Diamondbacks over the uh, 75 Red Sox. Then the 86 Red Sox turned around and beat the 93 Blue Jays. The 1990 A's got by the 2000 Yankees with a great game from Dave Stewart. Spoiler alert. So, we've had the higher seeds go just 3-3 three three so far, I guess. Now we move along to a 6 seed and an 11. It is Tony La Russa's 1985 St. Louis Cardinals and is the 11th. They just lost the World Series to the Royals that year. They'll be at the sixth seed, the 03 Florida Marlins, who took down the Yankees that October behind Jack McKeon. Hey, before I forget, would you please subscribe and review? That would help this thing along. The Twitter follow, if you want to do that, is at the throwback LG, LG short for league. So, uh, I mentioned that in 1985, the Cardinals lost that World Series to the cross-state rival Kansas City Royals. Daryl Motley squeezing that final fly ball out at Royals Stadium, 11-0 the final. Well, good news, Cardinal fans. Joaquin Andohar will get another shot at restoring the glory here. He was ejected from that Game 7 in what became the shutout route. The Cardinals, of course, might have won Game 6 in the whole World Series itself. Had first base umpire Don Denkinger, had access to instant replay. We'll get to all that later. Andujar is going to take on the fireballing righty Josh Beckett in just a bit. But first, our pregame analysis. Former Sunday Night Baseball voice John Miller with his take on those 85 Cardinals and one of his favorite players. So Willie McGee hit 353 and he was a gold glove. Uh, center fielder, and he was a guy who stole bases. It all came together for Willie that year. That was one of those dream seasons. He never really put it together like that uh, at any other time. He had other good years, but nothing to approach that. And uh, Vince Coleman came along, and you could not throw him out. He was going to steal a base, and that was it. Uh, maybe you could pick him off, and occasionally maybe you might throw him out, but the fact of the matter was is that uh, Vince Coleman changed the game uh, where uh, teams began 
trying to come up with motions uh, out of the stretch position where a pitcher might be able to get rid of the ball more quickly. Uh, the slide step was born as an anti-Willie McGee bit of strategy. So uh, uh, that's sort of a legacy there from, uh, from Willie McGee. Now, the 85 cars will be remembered as the running Redbirds, 314 stolen bases. That number not only led the league, but the margin over the second best team was the same as the gap between number two and number 11 in the league. And it was during that road to the October World Series, that very speedy lineup took a little bit of a jolt. The freak accident with the tarp, bringing an end to the season for Rookie of the Year, Vince Coleman. That left the Cardinals to turn to the man who many people considered to be even faster than Vince Coleman. Willie McGee had to step up, indeed. So, with the Cardinals in uh, dire straits, nah, Cardinals, remember, had slipped after winning the World Series in 82. Whitey Herzog's team finished under 500 a year later. They were a distant third in the NL East in 84. A lot of personnel changes after that. Cardinals parted ways with Bruce Suter, dealt a package of four players to get Jack Clark in. They traded Lonnie Smith. Those moves, combined with a very big outbreak of rookie production and some good pitching, got the 85 Cardinals back into the World Series. He had a couple of 21-game winners, John Tudor and Joaquin Andujar. The latter was a mainstay and a hero of that 82 championship team. Tudor, at age 31, a surprise in his very first year with the Cardinals. 21 wins, 1.93 ERA. Any other year, that gets you a Cy Young Award and a landslide, but nope, not an 85. Now with Doc Gooden having one of the great pitching seasons of all time. Tudor didn't even get a first-place vote for Cy Young. Andujar, meantime, he was a workhorse, 269 innings, 3.4 ERA. Danny Cox was in that rotation at a 2.8 ERA, 18 wins. Whitey Herzog would fill it out with Kurt Kepshire and the veteran Bob Forsh, the rest of that rotation. Mentioned Bruce Suter was gone from the bullpen, but kind of a committee approach. Jeff Lottie saved 19 games at a 184 ERA. Ricky Horton was in that bullpen. Ken Daly, Bill Campbell. Herzog would uh, call up Todd Worrell down the stretch. He saved five games right at the end of the season. A season that didn't start well in 85 for the Cardinals. They lost four in a row to open the year, a couple in walk-off fashion at Shea Stadium. They also lost four straight to the Expos, and they were down five games by the middle of April. But eventually, Cardinals and Mets separating themselves from the pack, and the Cards were uh, plus two on the Mets on Labor Day. Dead heat by September 10th. Danny Cox pitched the opener of a big series, didn't really have it. Gave up five runs in the first. Cardinals would lose five to four. Then it was Tudor and Gooden, toe-to-toe, epic battle in the Wednesday game. It was zeros all the way through nine innings. Cesar Cedeno, the solo home run, and Tudor closed it out in the 10th, a 1-0 win. The, uh, the real Mets-Cardinals battle would be in St. Louis a little later. Tudor did the unbelievable, again throwing 10 shutout innings in that series opener. Ron Darling matched him 0-for-0 zero for, zero for a while, but uh, this time the game lasted long enough for the Mets get in, uh, to get into the bullpen. Ken Daly gave up a solo home run to Daryl Strawberry off the clock. Long home run in the 11th inning. Gooden beat Andujar 5-2 the next night. Cardinals' lead was down to a single game. But Danny Cox, six strong innings in that series finale. Vince Coleman coming through offensively. Had three hits, two runs batted in. So the lead was two games going into the final weekend. And the Cardinals would get it done. They would go on all the way to the NLCS. 
They drew the Dodgers. Tudor and Andujar lost the first two games, but the Cardinals rallied to tie the series, won it on two very famous home runs. Ozzie broke a 2-2 tie to win game five. Then with two outs in the ninth of game six, Jack Clark, the back-breaking three-run home run. And the World Series, the I-70 series against Kansas City. Tudor was great again through a gem at home to win game four. But that was the last Cardinals win of the season. They were up three games to one. They lost game five at home. Had the lead late in game six. And the infamous safe call at first to set the stage for the Royals rally. No getting around the fact that the Cardinals just came undone completely in that embarrassing game seven loss. All of that against our pop culture backdrop of ugh, a Susu Studio playing on the radio, seemingly at all hours. Gorbachev became the Soviet premier, beginning the era of glasnost, openness, and transparency. Can I be transparent? Not only was Sue Studio a bad song, so was Say You, Say Me by Lionel Richie that summer. Horrible. Microsoft Windows came out, 1.0 in 85. Back to the Future at the movies, the color purple, cocoon, desperately seeking Susan, and the Breakfast Club. You mess with the bull, you get the horns, you know. We were all introduced to the deadpan comedy stylings of Stephen Wright that year. We wore swatches while Bartles and James thanked us for their support. Dan Rather started saying courage as he signed off the nightly news. And Billy Crystal told us that we looked marvelous. And for some reason, that was very funny. Anyway, leading off for the 85 Cardinals. It is going to be Vince Coleman, tarp free. He's in left field. Tommy Herr, switch hitting second baseman. Willie McGee in center, another switch hitter. In fact, five switch hitters in this lineup. Jack Clark, not one of them. He's, he's a cleanup man. He's at first base, right-hander. Andy Van Slyke is in right. Ozzie Smith in short. Terry Pendleton at first. Tom Nieto is the catcher. Joaquin Andujar is pitching and batting number nine. St. Louis taking on the 0-3 Marlins, originally skippered by Jeff Torborg. Ah. That's a little better musically, thank you. A change was made midstream there, too. They brought in Jack McKeon out of mothballs, and it worked, because from the end of May on, Florida had the best record in baseball after that 19-29 and 29 start. They won the NLDS when Jeff Conine threw out J.T. Snow at a home plate, Pudge Rodriguez surviving the collision. They were down 3-1 in the NLCS. Beckett shut down the Cubs in Game 5. Bartman happened in Game 6. And in Game 7, the Cubs had the lead on him with Kerry Wood pitching and homering, but the Cubs failed to hold it. Paul Bacco flew out against Ugi Urbina, and that was that for the 0-3 NLCS. The World Series didn't scare the fish one little bit against the big bad favored Yankees, who had killed the Red Sox off in Game 7 on the Aaron Boone home run. The Marlins calmly dispatching the Bombers four games to two, even though the Yankees had won ten more regular season games than Florida had. And even though they outscored the Marlins in the six-game series, 21-17. to 17. And having lived in South Amboy, New Jersey, attending Yankee games when he was a kid, Jack McKeon said he wanted to play the Yankees in the first World Series that he was going to go to, not the Red Sox. And well, he got his wish when Tim Wakefield tossed at that knuckleball to Boone. Elsewhere in baseball, real quick for you, in 2003, just to get you in the mood, Tigers set that AL record. They lost 119 games. They almost caught the 62 Mets, but screwed it up by winning three games the final weekend. A-Rod and Barry Bonds were the MVPs. Delman Young, the first pick of the draft by Tampa Bay. And the surprising AL leaders in batting average and pitchers' strikeouts, would you believe Bill Miller and Esteban Loiza? 
Pop Culture 2003, Joe Millionaire played on Fox, duping women into thinking some cowboy was worth 80 million bucks when it turns out uh, he was not. Fox also had the 70s show, followed by A Minute with Stan Hooper, starring, uh, you know, uh, Norm MacDonald there. Yeah. Uh, let's see, what else was on the tube? Uh, Sex in the City, some people were watching that. Some people watched Jessica Simpson on her Newlyweds reality show, asking if buffalo wings came from actual buffaloes. There was the uh, Paris Hilton sex tape circulating. John Ritter died way too early at 54. That bummed us all out, but people still wore their Uggs, their cargo pants. We loved Elf when that came out. We kept on watching Friends on NBC. Tampa Bay won a Super Bowl. New Jersey won a Stanley Cup. And yes, the Florida Marlins won the World Series with this starting lineup here right now against the 85 Cardinals. You ready? Leading off, Juan Pierre. He is the center fielder. Luis Castillo, the speedy second baseman. Derek Lee at first. Mike Lowell at third. Pudge Rodriguez, the veteran catcher. 20-year-old Miguel Cabrera is in left. Juan Encarnacion in right. Alex Gonzalez is the shortstop. And pitching batting ninth is Josh Beckett. Beckett pitching for a team that went 91-71, and 23-year-old Texan, and in some ways an odd fit for South Beach. He rides horses, he dips Copenhagen, he quotes Waylon Jennings songs, he owns 44 head of cattle, but in some other ways, I think he's perfect for this market. Extremely self-confident, strong-willed, even stubborn. Dude wants to win, period. He was signed to a major league contract right out of high school. David Clyde, Todd Van Poppel, then Josh Beckett. That's the whole list at that point. Three native Texans. Uh, and this year, in a rotation with Penny, Pavano, Redman, and Dontrell Willis, he's the one that got the call in Game 6 of the World Series at 23 to start on three days rest. We had a 72-year-old manager handing the ball to a 23-year-old pitcher, and Beckett pitched a complete game, five-hit shutout that sealed the World Series. The only other pitchers to ever eliminate the Yankees with a shutout in the Bronx, Johnny Padres and Lou Burdett, 50 years prior to Beckett. Anyway, Beckett's going to face fellow 23-year-old National League Rookie of the Year, Vince Coleman, as we are good to go. Only one home run for Coleman, but how's 110 stolen bases? Tommy Herbat's next, 32 steals this year. Willie McGee, 56. Van Slyke, 34. Coleman, a switch hitter, batting left. He takes right down the middle of a fastball strike. We are underway. Spin the wheel to name this ballpark. Joe Robbie Stadium, Pro Player Park, Pro Player Stadium, Dolphin Stadium, Landshark Stadium, Sun Life Stadium. Here in 2003, it is simply Joe Robbie. As the pitch comes in low, it's one and one to Coleman. Marlins wearing black jerseys. A little teal accent to them. Black caps with the jumping fish out of the capital letter F. Cardinals in their gorgeous road grays with the bird on the bat logo, red stirrups, red caps. Here's the 1-1. It's lined, but right back to the box, and Beckett's got it. Almost in self-defense. He had that glove up around hip level, and he grabbed it cleanly, one away. And another switch hitter, the second baseman, Tommy Herr, who actually hit third most of the year with Coleman and McGee always on base. He had a lot of RBI opportunities. 110 runs batted in with only eight home runs. Only two St. Louis players with more than 10 home runs this year. Van Slyke had 13. Jack Clark way out in front with 22. Mark McGuire had that many by Memorial Day a couple times for St. Louis. There's a fastball strike outside corner. Nothing in one. No score just underway. 
Josh Beckett has what pitching coaches call easy cheese. Great fastball, minimal strain on the arm. Kurt Schilling, probably the best example of that. Pitches fouled off to the third base seats. And a fan in a velour tracksuit and a fedora reaches for it. Bounces right by him, and a woman in very low-slung jeans ends up with a souvenir. Two Joshes went back-to-back -back in that 99 draft. Josh Hamilton, the outfielder from North Carolina, the high school prodigy going first to the Devil Rays and the Marlins. Well, they got with Josh Beckett. 0-2 the count to her. And the pitch, that's down too low. One ball, two strikes. Beckett began 2003 as kind of a Nuke Lelouch type from Bull Durham. Strong, powerful righty with a million-dollar arm. Just no idea how to use it. But he would figure it all out. Here's the pitch. High fly ball left field. 20-year-old Miguel Cabrera is over near the line. He settles under it. He's got it in just a step two down. It is Cabrera out there instead of the more seasoned Todd Hollinsworth. We will hear from Hollinsworth in just a bit, but for now, with two down in the top of the first, here is the batting champion of the National League in 85, Willie McGee, and the MVP. He hit 353, led the league in triples. He had 18 of them. 56 steals, some great work defensively on that AstroTurf back in St. Louis. McGee wearing 51 on that great Cardinals uniform. He swings here, he clobbers one towards the gap in right center. That ball down, that ball's rolling, it's going to be a double. Juan Encarnacion and Juan Pierre converging. It's Pierre to get it back in, but easily in a second base is Willie McGee. So a two-out thread here in the top of the first. Brings up Jack Clark in what will be a battle of guys who sometimes rub people the wrong way. Clark and Beckett. Beckett, the Houston native with that Texas-sized confidence. This is a guy that in a high school game once threw not at an opponent, but at the opponent's dad because the old man was giving away pitch location from a seat behind home plate. <laughs> and in high school, it wasn't just about dominating the hitter. Josh Beckett wanted to truly embarrass the hitter. And the pitch to the slugging righty, Clark a strike on the inside corner, nothing in one, looked like a changeup. Not too many righties have the confidence to throw their changeup to right-hand batters. These days, maybe Mike Messina, Pedro Martinez, of course, Brad Radke. Not too many others besides Josh Beckett. Pitches a fastball. This time it's in there. One and two to number 22, Jack Clark. Mentioned Pierre and Encarnacion in center and right, Cabrera in left. Lowell's at third, Gonzalez at short, Castillo at second, Lee at first, Pudge Rodriguez the catcher. Here's the pitch. It's a changeup low this time, two and two. And two is the number of World Series championships for Florida now. Number of division titles is zero. Both times they've made the postseason, it's been as a wild card, but both times they've made it, they've won the whole shebang. And the Marlins at this point, with only two above 500 records in their history, and both of those years they won the World Series. Here's a pitch. Foul ball bounced down the first baseline. Late swing from Clark, who hit 281 this year. Yeah, the all-time win percentage in postseason for Florida is 660. Their all-time win percentage in the regular season is 460. And it's funny, if you compare Florida with Philly, 
Florida two World Series titles in their two winning seasons. Right now, Philly's got one World Series title in 37 winning seasons. Next delivery, Beckett to Clark. A swing and a miss. Strike three. Fastball to polish him off, and that's the inning. Willie McGee is stranded. No score as we go to the bottom of the first. The 1985 Cardinals were the team at the plate. Here's a little something from 1985. Recently, an independent research firm ran a taste test between Coke and Pepsi. And the taste more people chose was the taste of Coca-Cola. Yes, more people all across the country, when comparing Coke to Pepsi, chose the taste of Coke as the better taste. Let's look at it this way. We gave America a choice, and more people said, Coke is it. It's a hit. It's a Coke. Yeah, good call there, Coke executives. New Coke. That went really, really well. You know what uh, went better that year? And every year before that, back to 1963. In fact, every year after that, right up through now, too. The coffee bean and tea leaf. Since 1963, the coffee bean and tea leaf, they haven't had to change things around. They've been bringing you the finest coffees and teas from around the world. They do it responsibly, with responsibly sourced ingredients and handcrafted coffees and teas. It's an experience like no other. And now available for a limited time, we invite you to try their new horchata, cold brew coffee, or world-famous ice blended. Many thanks to our buddies who love their baseball for being such a wonderful sponsor of the Throwback League, our good buddies, the Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf. No score, bottom one. The 03 Marlins coming up and on the mound for the 85 Cardinals, the temperamental Joaquin Andujar, 32 years old now, Former Astro was great as a Cardinal last year in 84. 20 wins, 3.34 ERA. This year, around the same ERA, 21 wins instead. After his postseason meltdown, he'll be off to Oakland for 86. But right now, the hard-throwing Dominican righty will face slap-hitting Juan Pierre. The former Colorado Rocky is all about speed at the top of the order, kind of like the Cardinals' leadoff man, Mr. Coleman. Pierre, though, strictly a lefty. And like Vince Coleman, just won a home run, but instead of 110 steals, 65, which was still good enough to lead the league in 03. Wiry Alabama native, he takes a fastball strike. It's nothing in one. And speaking of Coleman, as we check the defense, he is in left for the Cardinals. Willie McGee in center, Van Slyke in right. Round the horn third to first, Pendleton, Ozzie Smith, Tommy Herr. Jack Clark, Tom Nieto is the catcher here. 0-1 delivery to Pierre. Lined and a right, that's a base hit. He picked out something off speed, and now a very fast man is at first base. For another great young hitter, here's his second baseman, Luis Castillo. These Marlins, who finished the regular season 72-42, and, and completely under the radar, throw to first in the runner back. I think the turning point was probably in Boston in June. They had lost 25 to eight to the Red Sox the night before. Found themselves down the next night, nine to two in the eighth, but they rallied to win 10 to nine. Biggest comeback in franchise history. Another throw to first here. And really from that moment, it seemed like there was nothing the Marlins could not do. Culminated in owner Jeffrey Loria's victory lap at Yankee Stadium. The owner of the Marlins managed to do what no Yankee did in game six. That's cross home plate. Castillo with 314 batter is ready. Pierre edging off at first. 
And the pitch, Bunton slowly towards third. Pendleton racing in. He bobbles, he can't get it away. Everybody's safe. Two on, nobody out. Let's see how they score that. I think that's just going to be a bunt single. It is. A lot of speed on here for the right-hand hitting Derek Lee. Nobody out, scoreless game. Andujar in some early trouble facing this huge first baseman. Derek Lee, 31 home runs, 92 runs batted in. Busted out of a poor start to his 0-3 postseason with a big walk and a key hit in that legendary eight-run eighth in game six at Wrigley. Mike Mordecai had a big double, but so did Derek Lee in that inning. His first extra base hit in three weeks. First since homering off Al Leiter, who was in the booth for Fox doing the, the game that night with Tom Brenneman and Steve Lyons. Pitch to Derek Lee, roars in for a strike, nothing in one. With two on, nobody out, no way Lee is bunting. Infield, a double play depth, third base from Mike Lowell on deck. Rock on the rubber, here's the pitch now. Swing it, socked in left field, base hit. Vince Coleman over to grab it towards the alley. Here comes Juan Pierre, he's gonna score. It's one to nothing, Florida. First and second, nobody out. And these Marlins, boy, they're resilient. And it was said all year long, the Marlins, they lead the National League in fun. That dugout, just full of fun-loving guys, shouting movie lines at each other. They high-five the backup catcher for warming up the pitcher between innings. They heckle opposing pitchers like you'd hear in Little League. They'll certainly do that tonight with Andujar. They even tease their own manager for his inability to remember and or pronounce their names. But this guy coming up now, this is a name Jack McKeon knows. The Pete Sampras lookalike Mike Lowell. Big furry eyebrows, chiseled cheekbones. He led the team with 105 runs batted in, 32 home runs. Two on, nobody out. The pitch from Andujar, fastball strike, it's nothing in one. Lowell is from here in Miami, actually born in Puerto Rico, but identifies as Cuban-American, having been raised here in South Florida since the age of four. Christopher Columbus High School, Florida International University, and will become a four-time All-Star eventually in a World Series MVP with the Red Sox in 07. Right-hand batter in and waiting. Castillo and Lee have their leads. Now the pitch. Little looper. Shallow left center. Coleman coming over. Coming on. Oh, it's in and out of his glove. Willie McGee picks it up over towards center. Castillo comes in. He's going to score. It's 2-0 Marlins in the bottom of the first. Not the easiest play in the world for the rookie Vince Coleman, but a ball he really should have had. Instead, an E is up already on the scoreboard here at Joe Robbie. And boy, Andujar is seething. Again, it's a guy who sometimes lets his emotions just kind of short-circuit him. Tom Nieto very wisely out to the mound to try to settle him down. It's two in, two on, nobody out. And the veteran catcher, Pudge Rodriguez, to the plate. A longtime Texas Ranger. 297 hitter this year at the age of 31. 16 homers, 85 runs batted in. And boy, a catcher in this heat and humidity should not be able to hit that close to 300. But Pudge did that here in 03. Did it in his 30s. Andahar back up on top of the mound. Lowell and lead the base runners. Andahar out of the set. Breaking ball low. 
Tavon Rodriguez, a future Hall of Famer, 5'9", 205 pounds. That's the nickname Pudge. Wearing number seven, as he did in Texas from 1991 to 2002. This one year in Florida, then on to the Tigers, the Yankees, Houston, the Rangers again, finally the Washington Nationals as he takes a strike here. It's a one and one. Rodriguez once had 47 doubles in a season. That's a ton for a catcher, but he is a double play candidate for sure. Led the majors a few years back, hitting in a 31 of them. Runners away from first and second. Andujar has the sign, now the pitch. Line shot, but right at second base, Tommy Hur has got it, and the runners have to scramble back to where they started. Solidly hit by Pudge Rodriguez, but he's the first out of the inning. one nothing. Florida's on top. Here is Miguel Cabrera, who in nine years will become the first player since 1967 to win the batting triple crown. MVP award, and then in 2013, one year later, his numbers will actually be even better. He'll win the MVP one more time. Pitch to him is fouled right back. It's nothing in one. Game four of the 03 World Series against the Yankees. Remember, Cabrera faced Roger Clemens for the first time in his career. Next pitch in there, a strike, nothing in two. Clemens threw a 92-mile-an-hour fastball in the vicinity of Cabrera's chin in that first at bat. Cabrera turned and stared at Clemens, and later in that A.B., home run to right center, two-run shot at 20 years old. Another hard thrower on the mound here. It's Joaquin Andujar. Here's a wind. He fires. Called third strike at the knees. Now maybe later in his career he might get benefit of the doubt there, but borderline pitch goes against him here. Two out in the inning. And Juan Encarnacion, the batter. A 2-0 ball game. Again, that Vince Coleman error looming right now. Encarnacion, native Dominican, future Cardinal himself. And surprisingly, this year, second most RBIs on the team behind Mike Lowell. Yeah, very quietly, Encarnacion, 94 runs batted in to go with 19 home runs. Wine in the pitch. Ground ball towards second base should be the inning. Tommy Hur has got it. Flips to the Wizard at short. Ozzie Smith is there on the bag, and the inning is over. But two runs, three hits, one error, couple men left. And at the end of one, 3 Marlins, two. 85 Cardinals, nothing. Hey, let's hear from somebody who was with that Marlins team, a guy that lost his job to Miguel Cabrera. Here's our good buddy, Todd Hollinsworth. Yeah, uh, 2003 was an, an incredibly uh, exciting season for, for all of us. I think that if you were to ask just about me or, or any of my teammates what a special year it was, obviously it ending in a World Series championship from the way that it started to the way that it ended, I think we probably all grew up as much uh, in that one year as we probably have in any years of our lives, and I think we would all admit to that out loud, but my situation being very, very unique. I came to the Marlins in, in late January uh, to kind of replace that power that Cliff Floyd had provided for the organization for so many years from the left side of the plate, and, uh, at, you know, I got to Pro Player Stadium, and it was a bit of an issue for this lefty uh, to get the ball over the fence. Uh, I had no problem hitting doubles and triples. 
an occasional home run, but the long ball was a problem for me. And so after the team started to struggle, and, and I obviously was struggling with my, my power stroke, so to speak, <clears throat> with our particular club, uh, Jack McKeon, the new manager who replaced Jeff Torborg at the time, said that, listen, we're going to call up this young kid named Miguel Cabrera. And, you know, I'm proud to say that uh, I got replaced by a Hall of Famer. So I guess maybe that's it. He's not in the Hall of Fame yet, but listen, who's betting against him right now at this at this juncture of his career? The young man has then done, done just about everything that's been asked of him, and it's been an amazing run. And I think what made 2003 so special for many of us is that some of the older players kind of had to take a back seat to the Don Trell Willis's and the D train and, and uh, Miggy Cabrera at that particular time. And so uh, I certainly was very, very proud to be a part of it. In fact, I became one of the best pinch hitters in baseball that particular season. I may have even led an on-base percentage uh, as a pinch hitter and as a fourth outfielder. But that's what our team was. It was a, a group of just selfless individuals, guys who just kind of looked uh, you know, to each other to, 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 to be great and to win. And, and we had so many little things that I felt like made us better as the season went on. And I think there was a point in, in middle of May where we were about 10 games, 12 games under 500. Yes, we rallied. We came all the way back to win a World Series. Uh, the best team in baseball beat a couple of 100-win teams in the, in the postseason. Uh, but the one thing that really stands out to me as far as what made the 2003 Marlins so special was the selflessness that entire group played with. Uh, from my particular situation with Miguel Cabrera to Mike Lowell breaking his wrist in late August and, you know, stepping aside and kind of waiting his turn to get back out there after healing. I mean, he had 105 RBIs at the end of August, and you'd think most teams couldn't get, couldn't, couldn't get him back on the field fast enough. He had to wait, and, and what's so interesting about even that point is that he hit it just maybe the most meaningful home run of the NLCS that year in game one against the Chicago Cubs in extra innings, the game winner at Wrigley Field. That doesn't happen if, if Mike Wolf's in the everyday lineup. His spot doesn't come up that way. He doesn't get to pinch in that particular situation. I, it's just, I, I can think back to so many different acts of selflessness that we got to see from guys going in the starting rotation to working out of the bullpen to guys taking turns. We just, we really enjoyed playing together. And I think for, you know, in my 12 year career, you know, the one time that I really sensed that little league mentality, and that's the purest element of our great game that we all love. Listen, when we get to the big leagues, we got, we got finances that are part of our story. We've got other motives that can, can obviously motivate players and, and, and drive their game. Um, you know, the purity of the sport, really, you, you got to kind of take it back to the, to the game when it's kids playing for nothing more than the love of the game and the love of winning and being great at it. Um, that particular team exhibited that to me the most in my 12-year career. All right, thanks so much to Todd. Interesting times in 03 for sure. Due to time constraints, <laughs> I love saying that, we move ahead to further action. In the bottom of the fourth, the Marlins would tack on a run. Luis Castillo, a triple to the right center alley, scored Juan Pierre, who had singled a 3 to nothing lead heading to the top of the fifth. But with two out, Terry Pendleton knocked a single in the left. Nieto followed with a base hit. And then... Of all things, Joaquin Andujar coming through. Yeah, did so with a base hit, chipped in a right center, made it 3-1 at that point. Andujar, only a 106 hitter for the season, but 
He's a guy that would occasionally knock one of the alleys somewhere. Five career home runs. Two of them in Montreal against Steve Rogers for some reason. He once had a grand slam against the Braves. His first home run was an inside the parker against Bill Lee. Yeah, you can look it up. Anyway, 3-1, to one, the score would stay. The 0-3 Marlins still on top, going to the top of the seventh inning. And that is where we're going to pick it up. Ozzie Smith will lead it off. He will not realize his full potential with the bat for another few years still, but a 276 batter this year. Batting six tonight for Whitey Herzog. Swings right away, base hit to left. Down in front of Miguel Cabrera. So the Wizard, known for his glove, not so much his bat at this point in his career. He sets the table with the Cardinals down two. Tying man comes up in the person of switch hitting Terry Pendleton, who is not yet fully ripened either. 240 is his batting average early on in his career here. Only five home runs, and even he stole 17 bases. That's what the Cardinals are all about. More than 300 steals this year. Whitey ball. Tom Nieto, the catcher, moves on deck. We could very well see a pinch hitter for Andujar after that. Looks like Cesar Cedeno is down there grabbing a bat. And action begins in the Florida bullpen. Michael Tejera starting to throw along with Armando Almanza. Pendleton one for two so far. Looks over at first throws there. And Ozzie Smith is back. Beckett just trying to make it through the sixth inning here. Had no complete games in his big league career entering the 0-3 postseason. Then all he did was throw one at Yankee Stadium on three days rest to win the World Series. And you know what Josh Beckett's career record was heading into that postseason? It was 17 and 17. Pitches a fastball, thigh high for a strike, nothing in one. They compare Beckett to the other famous fireballing Texans. He beat Kerry Wood head-to-head -head in the NLCS in 03. Beat his childhood hero, Roger Clemens, head-to-head -head in the World Series. And the World Series is a place the most famous Texas fireballer of all never did make it to. Nolan Ryan never pitched in a World Series in 27 years in the big leagues. Beckett did it at age 23. He was World Series MVP. Here's the pitch. Cut on the sky towards center, not deep. Juan Pierre loping in. He is under it now. Makes the catch for a big first out. Pendleton, a doubles threat, if not a home run threat, gets under one. And now the catcher, Tom Nieto. He and Daryl Porter pretty much splitting duties this year. Nieto without a home run, 225 hitter, former Oral Roberts University star, wearing 23 on his back, taking outside 1 0. And this stadium, with all of its orange seats, notorious for its poor playing conditions. The lights aren't located in optimal positions for baseball visibility. Of course, they got to share it with the Dolphins and the Miami Hurricanes. The pitch is inside this time, it's 2 0. 3-1, the 0-3 Marlins have the lead, but a mild threat for the team that's trailing here in the top of the seventh. Beckett has a sign from Pudge Rodriguez. Here's the rock in the 2-0. Line drive, left field, base hit. Off speed up, and Nieto right on it. Ozzie Smith stopping at second. You've got two on now, and the tying man aboard. Number nine spot in the order is due. It will not be Andujar. He is done with six innings of work, 11 hits allowed, one walk, four strikeouts. The veteran Cesar Cedeno coming up. 17-year career, one home run shy of 200, 
almost 1,000 runs batted in in around 2,000 games, 550 stolen bases, that's top 30 on the all-time list. He's got a rare combination of power, speed, and defense. He and Lou Brock, the first two guys, with 20 home run, 50 stolen base seasons. And in fact, Cedeno did that three years in a row. Pitch to him here is high, one ball, no strikes. And Beckett might be starting to tire a little bit. Cedeno, a five-time gold glover, truly underrated player. He came over here at the very end of August in 85, traded for an outfielder named Mark Jackson. And in 28 games in the regular season, he hit 434. Had to play some first base when Jack Clark got hurt. Playing left field when Vince Coleman got run over by the tarp. Tying man at first, Daniel the go-ahead man. Here's a wind, here's a pitch. Swing, high drive. This ball taking off to left center. It's back, it's back. It is gone. It's a home run. Pinch hit home run for the veteran Cesar Cedeno. The 85 Cardinals have stolen the lead here. A three-run homer from Cedeno. It is now four to three, St. Louis. And ladies and gentlemen, that is where I'm gonna to start to spin that wheel forward again for you. The Cedeno home run would stand up and there would be a little bit more action in that seventh inning too after Vince Coleman struck out with the bullpen coming on. Back-to-back -back walks, Tommy Hur and Willie McGee setting up Jack Clark, who singled to make it 5-3. Oogie Urbina came into the game facing Andy Van Slyke, but Van Slyke yanked one in the right. That scored a run to make it 6-3. Ozzie Smith would bat for a second time in the inning and ground to short. 6-3 at the seventh inning stretch, and the Marlins never could get anything going after that. Bill Campbell, the mid-30s veteran reliever, two solid innings, after Andujar, Jeff Lottie would lock it up, an 11-pitch save. He struck out one in the ninth, and that was that. The 0-3 Marlins go down, six unanswered runs for the 85 Cardinals, and they move on. The underdog gets it done yet again. We're seeing a lot of that here in the throwback league. Six runs, nine hits, and two errors for those visiting Cardinals. Whitey Herzog, congratulations. For the 0-3 Marlins, three runs, 12 hits, and one error. Tom Nieto ended up with two of those nine hits for the Cardinals. Again, he had the, uh, the base hit to set up the Cedeno magic. For the Marlins, they got two hits from Pierre, two from Castillo, two from Lee at the top of the order, but not a lot going right after that. So we look ahead now. Game seven is in the bank. We can look ahead to game eight in our brackets. It's going to be the 1999 Braves at the 1980 Phillies. That's going to be a 10 seed up against a seven. Veteran Stadium will be the site. The starting pitcher is expected to be Kevin Millwood for Atlanta and the Hall of Famer, the lefty Steve Carlton, expected to go for the Phillies. Once again, 6-3 the final. The 85 Cardinals get her done. If you haven't done it yet, we really do ask to uh, see if you can subscribe to this thing. The Throwback League. Start to spread the news for us too. Tell a friend, tell two friends, tell three friends. Leave us a nice review. Give us those five stars like you would a good Uber driver. If you're downloading this on iTunes, that's certainly appreciated if you can do that. It, uh, it's a fun project, and I know with, uh, and it really didn't set out to be this way. This thing started, as, as a lot of you know, well before the COVID-19 scare, well before all the sports was shut down. 
But uh, how glad are we that, that we started this thing and then we're able to, to give you some baseball one way or another. We're going to keep it going with a new podcast dropping every single Monday. We'll be there for you, I promise. This is Josh Lewin. Thanks again for listening. It's called the Throwback League, and we sure appreciate your business. Bye-bye.